0: Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm gonna guess that most of you have heard of Benjamin Franklin. And I'm going to bet that most of us think of Ben Franklin as that, well, somewhat strange guy who likes to fly kites in the middle of thunderstorms, right? But if you're more of a history buff than I am, you might also know that he was the very first ambassador for the United States. And in fact, some would argue that he was the best and most important ambassador that we have ever had still today. The argument goes that without Benjamin Franklin, the Revolutionary War might very well have been lost and we wouldn't even be the United States that we are today. You see, Franklin was appointed ambassador to France and was instrumental in getting France to come to the aid of our fledgling colonies in that fight for independence. I'm not here to give you a history lesson, obviously. I bring this up because I want to talk to you today about your job as ambassadors. And of course, I want to talk to you about that because Paul talks about it here in our text. Now, granted, this text that we just read has a lot of uh, golden nuggets in it. Individual phrases, individual verses that we could just pull out in and of themselves and and be the basis of a sermon or the basis of a whole Bible study. Lots of good, meaty, deep theology in some of these verses that we just read. But this morning I want to take the passage as a whole and see what Paul's overall message was. And I, I think it can best be summarized in that phrase that he uses there somewhat near the end, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I suspect most of you understand the job of an ambassador is to represent one's own nation and interest to that of another nation. That's what Franklin was doing, though he was living in France at the time and hobnobbing with the royalty of France. He was there representing the fledgling colonies back home and their fight for independence. We too are living as foreigners in this world. The Bible talks about us that way. Foreigners and aliens in this world. And we are here to represent our homeland of heaven and Christ our King. To bend the ear of everyone that we can find on behalf of our heavenly home. Our heavenly kingdom. That is simply put the message for you for us this morning from Paul. We are Christ's ambassadors. And there are three things that Paul says here about our job as ambassadors. Three things that I will summarize for you with keywords, all beginning with the letter C. Crazy, compelled, and commissioned. We are crazy, compelled, commissioned ambassadors. All right, so let's start with the crazy part, right? Now, granted, it is an honor and a privilege to be chosen as God's ambassadors, to serve in that role, but be forewarned, the world might just think you're a little bit crazy for it. Raise your hand, go ahead and raise your hand if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You're crazy, see? And I'm right there along with you. Do you understand how crazy that is to the unbelieving world? Somebody rose from the dead. And think about all the other crazy things we believe as Christians, right? That God created the world in six 24-hour days just by saying, Let there be really this awesome, intricate, complex, beautiful world in all of its grandeur? That this Jesus of Nazareth guy from a couple thousand years ago was conceived and born of a virgin? How does that happen? And that that Jesus is actually God? And, and that somehow Jesus' execution at the hands of the Roman government somehow saves us all from sin? Really? How does that work? And that we get to go to this wonderful place called heaven not by earning it or doing anything on our part? You see how crazy these things can sound to the world? And never mind the things that we believe and teach. Think about how you live as God's people. Hey, you're here today. Think about how crazy that is. You take time out of your busy schedules, and I know you all are, to come in here, come here and and sit here this morning and hear and listen to some things that were written a long time ago, to hear that old, old story of that Jesus of Nazareth guy from a couple thousand years ago from some old guy who's, well, not particularly dynamic or flashy, certainly not a professional speaker. You contribute lots of your hard-earned dollars to the church. Some of you out there pay thousands of dollars to have your children get a Christian education at the school. You abhor things that the world so readily embraces, uh, things simple things like not... Uh, taking God's name in vain, or bigger things like sex outside of marriage, greed, uh, gossip and slander. You abhor those things, but like I said, the world seems to embrace those. You see how crazy it is in in what we believe and in how we live. Well, we're in the same boat Paul was. Uh, That's what he's talking about in the opening verses of our text. He says again, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. That's his job as an ambassador. We're trying to persuade people. Now what we are is plain to God and I hope it is plain to your conscience. We're not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but giving you an opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than what's in the heart. And if we are out of our mind... It is for the sake of God if we are in our right mind it is for you you see Paul had his critics people who were criticizing him based on well external appearances external things that he was about and apparently some people who may have even accused him of being out of his mind being crazy And how did Paul deal with that criticism and that opposition, that hostility to his life and his message? Well, did he adapt and change his way so that he could be more like what people wanted him to be? Did he just give up entirely? Said, I'm done and tired with all of this criticism and rejection. Did he keep on his work, but secretly Almost sheepishly like he was ashamed of what he was teaching. No, of course not. He went about his work persuading people, being an ambassador openly, open to God, open to the Corinthians that he talks about. He says, I'm an open book. He went about his work as an ambassador no matter what people were saying. And it is important for us too. I would even say essential for us. To press on in our work as Christ ambassadors. Even if the world out there thinks we're maybe just a little bit crazy for it. So the question might be then, well, what would motivate Paul to press on amidst such opposition? What would motivate us to press on in our work? Well, that brings us to the second key word compelled we are compelled by Christ's love that's what Paul goes on to talk about I'm I'm picking it up now in verse 14 for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died and he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Christ's love compels us. That's that's powerful, isn't it? Those, Those are powerful words. They could be translated also, Christ's love controls us. And I found it quite interesting to to see that that word could be used to talk about somebody who's been arrested. So think of somebody in handcuffs being led by the police. They're being controlled or compelled. When we understand the depths of our sin and the consequences that would await us apart from Christ, and then we understand that Christ still loves us and has paid for that sin, that love takes us over. It controls us. It compels us. Not in a a bad way, like we're being handcuffed and forced by the threats of the law, but in a wonderful way, by the promises of God, of a new life, of freedom, actually. Freedom from sin and death and the power of the devil. That is compelling love. But Paul didn't just talk about Christ's love as some theoretical concept, did he? No, he says very explicitly exactly what Christ's love entailed. It meant that Christ died for us. Christ's love was exemplified. It took action through his death. It's like that old saying uh, that I, I like so often you sometimes see on posters or plaques. I asked Jesus, how much do you love me? And Jesus stretched out his arms and said, this much? And he died. Greater love has no man than this that he lay down his life. That's how we know Christ's love for us, by his death. And we can't forget also that very important uh, verse near the end, or right at the end of chapter 5, verse 21 that also talks about Christ's love God made him who had no sin Jesus obviously uh, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God oh another powerful extremely important powerful verse and so important we even give a name for that verse we call it the great exchange it's great for us right Christ takes from us our sin. And in exchange, what did he give us? His righteousness. I mean, what a deal for us, right? God made Jesus to be the sinner instead of us. And God now looks at us as righteous. Now think of Paul. For Paul, who spent his life Persecuting, even killing Christians. Think about how wonderful it was for him to come to understand that Christ still loved him, that Christ had even died for him, and that God now looked at him as righteous. Are we any different today, people of God? Like Paul, we are all, when we think about it and come to understand it, we are all the chief of sinners. But we are also all the ones that Jesus loves this much that he died for. We are all the ones who now God now looks, out, looks at as righteous. That is compelling love. But wait, you know, there's more. There's this truth that not only d- did Christ die for us, there's the truth that Christ died for all. In fact, Paul says that, that little word all three times there. Uh, you know, we're convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all. That means that Christ died for all those people out there. Those people who you and I admitted we think of typically as the chief of sinners. You know, the typical murderers and prostitutes and drug dealers. All those really bad people we say. It means that Christ died for that average John Doe out there who lives a normal, outwardly moral life, but has no place for Christ in his heart. Christ died for all, and all means all. And so, pastor, that means that Christ died for each and every member here. So remember that next time you deal with me, especially, please. Teachers, it means that Christ died for each and every one of your students, whether they're the most well-behaved or academically astute. Fellow members, it means that Christ died for that coworker of yours who seems to live an openly crass life. He died for that neighbor of yours who you can't stand. He died for your friends and your relatives who seem to want nothing to do with the church. Christ died for all. And so there is this great, huge mission field of people out there whom Jesus loves dearly and for whom Jesus died. And they just don't know it yet. And that love of Christ for them also compels us to share that good news that they are reconciled to God so that they might enjoy the blessings of the heavenly kingdom and kingdom of God's grace that we get to enjoy. Now, I understand that though Christ's love compels us to be his ambassadors. I understand it's not the easiest of tasks. To serve in Christ's stead in this huge mission field and somewhat hostile mission field, it can be somewhat of a daunting task. Well, that brings us to our third keyword commissioned. It's important to remember that we are commissioned by God Himself with all of his authority and with his power at work in and through us. So yes, our pastors and our teachers have a special calling to serve publicly. But all of us who bear the name of Christ are commissioned to be his ambassadors. Paul talks a little bit about that in the last part of chapter 5. He says all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. Even though those verses speak so much about our job as ambassadors, this job we have in the ministry of reconciliation, did you notice how they just ooze with how God is really the one at work in everything? God did that work of reconciliation, of achieving salvation for us. And then God gave us that ministry of telling the world about it. And even then He doesn't leave us to our own devices, but He says God is making His appeal through us. Does does that not help take the stress out of this job of ours as being His ambassadors? It helps us first of all just to simply know that God in His infinite wisdom has chosen us, little old us, to be His ambassadors. There is no greater message to give people in the world than that they are okay with God, that, that God loves them. And God has chosen us for that task, committed to us that great, awesome message of good news. And it helps us, secondly, to know that we're not left alone to our own devices, that God is still there working with His power in and through us. A pastor once told me after I had been whining about some unsuccessful evangelism efforts. He said, Ron, it's not your job to convert people. That's the Spirit's job. Your job is just to sow the seed and let God do His work when and where He pleases. That's good advice for all of us to remember. We just get to do the good, this glorious work of of sowing this wonderful seed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And we'll let God take care of the rest as he sees fit. So there it is, that simple but oh so important message that we are Christ ambassadors, as Paul says, representing Christ, representing our heavenly homeland right here in this foreign territory that we call the world. We serve in that role, even if people might think we're a little crazy for it. We serve in that role because we are compelled by Christ's love, not only for us, but for the whole world. And we serve in that role by His commission, with all of His authority and power at work in and through us. Our resumes might not be the most ideal for that kind of job, But God has planted in us a living faith in that message of reconciliation, a message that we are then privileged to share with the world around us so that they too might come to enjoy the wonderful life in this glorious kingdom of God's grace and love right alongside with us. And for that good news then, all God's people say, Amen.